Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Docs Talk Story, where we share the journeys, accomplishments, typical day, and advice for doctors practicing here in Hawaii. My name is Enze, and I'll be your host for today. Thanks so much for tuning in. On today's episode, we have Dr. Kyra Len, a pediatric hospitalist at Kapi'olani Medical Center. Dr. Len completed her undergrad at University of Hawaii and then went on to finish her medical school at Jabsom. She then completed her residency at the Children's Hospital in Oakland, California. Dr. Len has been practicing at the Kapi'olani Medical Center for 14 years, and she also uh, holds other titles, uh, including the Medical Student Director for the Department of Pediatrics and the Longitudinal Clerkship Director and the Learning Community Co-Director for the Office of Medical Education at Jabsom. Thank you so much for joining us today and taking the time to be on our show today, Dr. Lin. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for inviting me here. Mm-hmm. And just to start off, uh, could you tell us a little bit about your journey and how did you get to where you are today? Sure. Um, so I'm, uh, I guess my journey is pretty simple, I feel like. I, I was born and raised in Hawaii. I graduated from Punahou, went to UH Manoa, and um, immediately started med school at Jabsum. Mm-hmm. Um, I, after graduating at Jabsum, I did my pediatric residency training at Oakland Children's Hospital in California. Um, and after that, I started working as a pediatric hospitalist at Kapiolani, which I still do today. Um, a few years into my career, I really started becoming more involved in medical student education um, as the associate pediatric clerkship director and then as a clerkship director. And now my official title is a pediatric medical student director, so I kind of oversee all of the pediatric education in our department mm-hmm. um, for medical students. Uh, in addition, Uh, A couple years ago, I started at the Office of Medical Education, really becoming more involved in student education. And right now, I'm the longitudinal um, clerkship director, as well as co-director for the learning communities, which I really enjoy. Awesome. Yeah, it seems like uh, your career really involves a lot of not just medicine, but also the academic side of it. So um, I'm hoping, you know, as we go through today that we can uh, you know, delve into that and then, um, you know, what those roles are like for you. But first, can you tell us a little bit about why you decided to go into pediatrics? Yeah, um, I think for me, I, I actually knew um, even before I started medical school that I wanted to work with children. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed that part of my pre-medical career in terms of volunteering. I spent a lot of years volunteering at the Kapiolani Playroom, um, and it just brought me a lot of joy to be working mm-hmm. with that population and having a lot of fun with it. And in medical school, I actually enjoyed a lot of my clerkships, but Mm. what I enjoyed the most was my pediatric clerkship. There was just a feeling going into work, no matter how early, you know, those hours are and whatnot, but it it was just such a happy feeling to be working with kids Mm. and their resilience, and they just would get better and start playing with you. And yeah, I mean, what better feel than, you know, being able to play with your patient. So I think uh, for me that, that really sealed the deal for me and, and um, reaffirmed my interest in pediatrics. So. Mm. Did you consider any other specialties along the way? I um, was thinking also maybe about internal medicine mm-hmm. um, a little bit and maybe family medicine a little mm-hmm. bit. But I think uh, internal medicine, the medicine part of it was definitely interesting. The pathology of the patients that mm-hmm. I saw w- was interesting. But I think... Um, Many of the diseases were chronic, mm-hmm. and um, 
seem to get worse as the years went on versus yeah. in pediatrics. Um, the diseases are, are not necessarily chronic or, um, I mean, even the ones that are, they're manageable and sustainable. And so, um, and in general, most of them, they get better uh, for pediatrics. So that, that was enjoyable. Family medicine was also um, very interesting because it included pediatrics, but I was worried about not being able to master all of the different things I would need to know for family medicine. And so I decided to pick pediatrics to focus on that. Yeah, some of the other doctors that we've talked to who work with kids on this show have also mentioned how resilient kids are and, and overcoming the sickness and the illness that they sometimes have. And it's super hopeful for a lot of the doctors and the parents um, of the children um, to see those kids get better. So Yes, I think that that's really what makes it a lot of fun mm -hmm. is that they might come in really sick, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, you just, I mean, oftentimes, and it's all due to a virus a lot of times, so you don't really right. give them anything. You just yeah. kind of support them through their illness and then they'll get better. Um, so it's good. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Um, so your training pathway um, and your certification now is in pediatric hospital medicine. Is that correct? Yes. So mm -hmm. pediatric hospital medicine is a new specialty, mm -hmm. um, actually. So I um, took the first board certification exam for that last November, um, mm -hmm. and they're offering it every two years. Um, so essentially to qualify for the exam, you have to be practicing in pediatric hospitalist medicine for at least three years, mm -hmm. and then you can sit for the exam. So somebody who's graduating now from a pediatric residency program would have to go through a pediatric hospital fellowship mm -hmm. in order to um, sit for the pediatric hospitalist um, specialty exam mm -hmm. to be uh, certified in pediatric hospitalist medicine. Mm -hmm. And, and what makes uh, pediatric hospital medicine unique and different from some of the other pediatric specialties? I mean, I think it, it involves a lot of different aspects of pediatric hospital care. Mm -hmm. um, there is a lot of emphasis on quality improvement and making sure that how you are taking care of the patient is following the most up-to-date clinical practice guidelines and standards um, in order to make sure that the care is consistent and improves, I think, with those sorts of protocols. Um, in addition, um, I think, there, I mean, there are actually very different things you could do in pediatric hospitalist medicine, including newborn care, or some people do sedation in their pediatric hospitalist medicine program, or consultations with the emergency um, room on pediatric patients. So, um, but it's very different from outpatient pediatrics in a way, uh, because sometimes the types of illnesses that you are seeing can be um, quite involved. Wow, that's pretty cool that a pediatric hospitalist can do all of these different things. Um, it's nice to know that if you are a pediatric hospitalist that you're not bound to one specific thing. So I think that's pretty cool. And thanks for sharing that with us. Um, so my next question is um, about you. So. Could you describe for us a kind of typical day for you as a pediatric hospitalist? Sure. Yes. Um, I think, so a pediatric hospitalist, um, for where I practice, we have um, shift-based um, type of schedule. So um, let's say I'm working a week on service. I'll start service on Saturday. Um, my shift starts at 7 and ends at about 6 p.m. Um, from Saturday through Friday. Um, so... Uh, so I'll get up. If I'm really good, I'll, I'll go to the gym before my shift, but often I'll skip that and just <laughs> go into work. And um, 
I'll sort of just pre-round on my patients on the computer. I'll start rounding with my resident team with the residents as well as medical students at around 8.30 in the morning. Mm. Um, and we do family-centered rounds at Kapiolani where we will go in with our team, uh, the nurse, um, into the patient's room with the family so we can all discuss the plan together and everybody's on the same page. Um, and family-centered rounds last for about two hours, uh, two and a half hours sometimes. Mm -hmm. And then after that, we kind of continue our care for the patients, whether that be call consultants or um, write our progress notes or um, check up on the results of the tests we had ordered for that day, like an x-ray or a CAT scan or MRI, um, and then talk to um, other people about their care, including the social workers, case managers. And then in the afternoon, um, oh, I'll have lunch sometime in between then. <laughs> and then in the afternoon, um, I'll try and do some teaching with my team, um, as well as go back and check on my patients and see how they're doing um, with the things that we started for them in the morning and update the parents on any kind of tests we had ordered for that day. And then I'll sign out in the afternoon um, to my colleague who will come in for our evening shift. And um, I'll leave the hospital. Depends on the day and the number of patients and how sick they are, but um, I try to leave by 6 p.m., go mm -hmm. home, and uh, have dinner with my family. Um, I'm lucky that my husband, um, uh, has sort of a, a more stable job in terms of um, he has reliable hours and can pick up the kids and make dinner and whatnot. And then uh, so we'll have dinner together. Um, and then I try not to do any kind of work before my kids go to bed around eight. Mm -hmm. And um, then after that, depending on how many notes I have to finish up for my patients, then I'll, I'll continue doing that and then um, uh, go to bed. Mm -hmm. that, yeah. yeah, so throughout your day, uh, do you typically see patients or, or kids who are like in the ICU or the PICU or things like that? Or are they mo more stable patients that you just kind of take care of? Yeah, so no, I wouldn't see patients that need to go to the ICU. Mm -hmm. um, one of the intensivists or the pediatric ICU docs would do mm -hmm. that. Um, but if my patient, so if my patient gets sick enough, they would have to go to the ICU. But if they're relatively stable and, um, you know, we're comfortable taking care of them on the floor, um, then we keep them on the floor with us. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, what are some, some of your most common diagnoses that you see? Yeah. So, um, actually, before the pandemic, I would say bronchiolitis was one of the most common mm -hmm. diagnoses that, that we would see. Uh, bronchiolitis is caused by a virus, however, and... Uh, since the pandemic and a lot of the social distancing and you know the shutdowns and whatnot, there just weren't a lot of um, viruses getting passed around with other kids. And so actually we saw a decrease in our census um, mm -hmm. on our patients in the wards um, just because of you know less viruses getting passed around, less respiratory illnesses, less asthma exacerbations. You know that's another common diagnosis that we'll see. Um, but we are still seeing a lot of. Um, complications from bacterial infections mm -hmm. like um, cellulitis, osteomyelitis, um, septic arthritis, um, those sorts of things. Um, in addition, um, we have been seeing a few COVID patients, mm -hmm. but not, not as many, definitely not as many as our mainland colleagues. Right. Um, and then there's also a complication that children can have after a COVID infection called MIS-C, um, and we've had a few of those patients in the hospital as well, but not, not as many uh, for sure as, as the hospitals on the mainland. Mm -hmm. It seems like most of these uh, kids have kind of acute problems. Do you have 
uh, any patients that you see longitudinally um, over a long period of time? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and actually backing up a little bit, when I thought that I would enter pediatrics, mm -hmm. that was one of the things that really drew me to pediatrics was that continuity of care mm -hmm. and being able to follow up a patient you know, over time. Mm -hmm. However, pediatric hospitalist medicine, kids will come in when they're acutely ill and then when they get better, they'll leave and I may never see them ever again because mm -hmm. a previously healthy child, it's unlikely that they would be hospitalized multiple times. Mm -hmm. However, I do have continuity with patients who have a lot of underlying chronic medical problems. So um, maybe former preemies who have a lot of um, medical problems resulting from their prematurity or just other children who are born maybe with um, underlying genetic problems or um, just chronic medical diseases in general. Uh, a lot of those patients don't actually probably recognize me because of their underlying uh, medical problem. They're, you know, a lot of times they're severely developmentally delayed. Um, but I do develop... Um, a very close relationship with their families, I feel like, because I'm seeing them kind of in an intense point in their child's life when they're sick enough to be admitted to the hospital. And so um, definitely over the years, these are the families that I've bonded the most with. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, a, it's kind of bittersweet because I'm seeing them when their child is sick and coming to the hospital, but it's nice to be able to see them and, you know, reassure them that, you know, we'll get through this. And, and I feel like over time, when they see me multiple times, you know, we kind of build more of that trust, which is nice uh, to have with those families. Yeah, I think one of the things that is so cool about pediatrics and even things like neonatology is that you work so closely with the families and with the parents that it's not just having, you know, the kid as your patient, but you're kind of working with the entire family as, as you know, part of that, that family unit to help, you know, bring that kid uh, back into health. And I think that's something that's super cool. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think um, being able to play with your patient, but mm -hmm. also like have this bond with the parent. Um, and it, it's just it's super rewarding, I feel like. Um, not only the chronic patients, but even when their child is acutely ill, the parents are very worried. I mean, it's, it's not often that your child, you know, my well, actually, I take that back. My child was hospitalized briefly. <laughs> but, um, but most children were not hospitalized, you know, um, and so it will not be hospitalized. Mm -hmm. And so I think uh, it, it's a very stressful situation for the families, mm -hmm. and you can come in and reassure them, and um, they see their child get better, and they're just so grateful for, um, for what you did. And honestly, most of the time you, you didn't do much because it was due to a mm -hmm. virus. Um, but it's, it's very rewarding in that sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm, for sure. Um, well, so switching gears a little bit, um, you know, for somebody who might be interested in applying for pediatrics, what's kind of the typical application like for them? Sure. So um, I think for students who are interested in pediatrics, um, I would say of the residency specialties, it's not um, of, of like a super competitive mm -hmm. caliber, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so I think you should make sure that you are interested in it by um, working with children in some capacity. Um, but uh, your clerkship would also help solidify that for you or not, whether or not you are really interested in pediatrics. In terms of what you need on a residency application, um, I would encourage you 
I think, just to do things that you enjoy, not necessarily to do something to put on a residency application. Like if you aren't interested in research, you don't need to do research to um, to complete a residency application for pediatrics. I have had many students who have successfully matched without uh, research experience. But if you are interested in research, by all means, you know, do pursue that um, so that it's something that you enjoy doing. So I think um, if you like to do volunteer work, you know, that sort of thing could help for your residency application. But again, if you don't like to do it, it's not needed for a residency application. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think um, I would just encourage you to do what you enjoy. Um, and I think in general, when I advise students, mm-hmm. that's that's the number one thing that I try to tell them to do. Um, because you spend so much of your life right. at work, right. um, you really want to make sure it's something that you love waking up and, you know, going to do every day. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think that's, that's super important. Um, so you went away for residency to California, is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so uh, what are your thoughts about going away and, like, staying home for the residency part of the medical training? Yes, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, I feel like I wish I had my um, co-advisor. We often advise students together, Dr. Yamamoto, because he, he gives a good um, perspective on the staying home uh, mm-hmm. part of it, and I, um, I did go away for, for residency. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I think what I really got from the experience, you know, I talked about my background a little bit. I did college here, medical school here. And so I honestly was just really uh, looking to get away um, from Hawaii and uh, get some experience on the mainland. And so um, that's one of the reasons why I decided to go away for residency. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed my residency program. I got to see um, a different way of doing things in terms of how they practiced, um, the cohesiveness of my residency program was very close and I, mm-hmm. I enjoyed that. Um, I think what I missed um, from going away uh, and not doing residency here is training in a patient care population that I would end up practicing in. So mm-hmm. when I finished residency, I was really good at managing um, sickle cell disease and mm-hmm. uh, cystic fibrosis, but actually, those are not the types of patients that I am taking care of now. Mm-hmm. Um, the types of patients I'm taking care of now uh, with our Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander population, the types of diagnoses that they have tend not to be you know, sickle cell, cystic mm-hmm. fibrosis, but more complications from some of the strep infections, including um, rheumatic fever, rheumatic heart disease. Whereas I saw maybe one patient my entire residency, mm-hmm. and you know, here I will regularly see patients that and with that diagnosis. And so I think that um, in some respects, I missed, uh, mm-hmm. you know, from, from training uh, away. Um, in addition, getting to know all the subspecialists here. Um, when I was new as a pediatric hospitalist attending, I had to kind of get to know all the different subspecialists and they had to get to know me as well and learn to trust me. And so um, I think that was a big difference too, of going away for residency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Um, so, uh, you know, since you you did residency on the mainland and then now you're kind of in the uh, administrative portion of the residencies here in Hawaii for pediatrics, um, do you see that the programs on the mainland versus the programs here are different in any way in the way that maybe they run or the way that they, you know, their, their curriculum or things like that? I mean, I think 
in terms, the, the biggest difference really um, for IC, the mainland residency programs are our residency program in pediatrics um, is size. Um, so, you know, our residency class is eight, uh, which is on the smaller size program. My residency class where I trained was a class of 26. So mm -hmm. there were a lot of people there and, and pediatric residency programs can go as high as um, 40 students. So definitely um, there are large size programs. Um, and depending on where you go, uh, those larger size programs will likely also have fellowship programs where mm -hmm. our residency program only has one fellowship um, in Hawaii, which is the NICU fellowship. Mm -hmm. um, and when you go to a larger program with fellows, the training can be very different. Mm -hmm. um, on the positive side, you could get some uh, teaching from the fellows, as well as if you are interested in fellowship, then potentially, you know, they would know you better and you might have a better chance matching in the fellowship at that particular institution. On the negative side, because there are so many fellows in that uh, residency program, then potentially as a resident, you won't be the first one um, who has an opportunity to do certain things like mm -hmm. procedures, for example, because the fellows will be the first in line to, mm -hmm. to get that experience. So there are definitely, I think, pros and cons to the different programs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, thanks for sharing that. And I hope that um, that was helpful for some of our listeners in, in kinds of like applying to the residency and also just deciding where they want to go, whether they want to stay or, or to go to the mainland to train. Um, um, but now let's move forward into kind of your role in hospital and academic administration. Um, could you talk a little bit about what your role is now in, in those two areas? Yeah, sure. Um, in terms of uh, my administrative role or um, in medical education, I think, um, well, I work um, part-time at the Office of Medical Education mm -hmm. with um, my current title is uh, the Longitudinal Clerkship Director. So for that, what I help to do is um, interface with the outpatient preceptors um, who are working with the students um, in the longitudinal semester. So the third year is when they go through, they will do uh, one semester in an outpatient setting and maybe they'll do um, a morning, like Monday morning they'll be in pediatrics, Tuesday afternoon in internal medicine, all day Tuesday uh, or Wednesday on family medicine and, and so on and so forth. So they'll do their specialties um, throughout the whole semester. Mm -hmm. And those preceptors, um, are all volunteer preceptors, which we really, really appreciate um, their dedication to teaching because um, without them, honestly, we wouldn't be able to have a sustainable clerkship curriculum for the third year students. And so um, I think it's definitely, sorry. <laughs> um, and so it's been really great to, to have them uh, for sure to, to teach our students. Um, and we kind of help to create their schedules and, and communicate with them and um, help connect them to the departments who are running that clerkship. Um, on the other side of it, uh, the other thing that I um, am really happy to be doing uh, is uh, the co-director for the learning communities, which we just started this year. Um, it's been a change to the curriculum, but actually a lot of medical schools across the nation have learning communities um, within their program the degree of how their learning communities interfaces with their curriculum varies widely. Um, and we had a method of a learning community before with our podvising system, but learning communities is so much more in terms of really 
developing your skills in certain things, um, including clinical skills, but also in how to communicate with patients, um, understand health system sciences, um, really delve in deeper into medical ethics, and, and also to um, manage your wellness and, and your own mm -hmm. resiliency. I think that that part of it um, has been very enjoyable. And our goal, honestly, is to really create jobs and physicians that are the type of physicians that everybody is really going to want to go to. Wow, yeah. You know, I think that's really true. You know, at the end of the day, it's not just about the medicine, the academic side of it. You know, those are important. But I think what's equally as important or even more important is that ability to develop relationships with your patients, to be trustworthy and open and be able to foster that relationship with your patients. So I think that's really important. You know, it seems like you do a lot of things other than just your practice with your roles in OME. Could you speak about what that's like for you to be both a practicing physician and also administrator in a medical school? I Honestly, to me, I feel like it's a good balance um, because uh, although it can be quite hectic the week that I'm on service, I kind of describe my schedule. And so the, the hours can be quite long in those areas. But um, it, it really has helped me kind of balance things and understand both perspectives. So as I'm taking care of patients, I kind of have my end, ga end game in mind mm -hmm. in a way, in the sense that it reaffirms my dedication to teaching students to help take care of their patients with um, the goal of improving care of patients um, as I improve medical education mm -hmm. or try to, um, mm -hmm. I guess, if that makes any sense. But I think, uh, yeah. Um, and then on the other side of it, on the medical education side, I think it has helped me um, think about um, my patients as well. So honestly, <laughs> some of the topics that we're discussing in our learning communities or as I'm learning things in my uh, learning communities as well, when I go and take care of my patients, I apply some of the things <laughs> that you know we've been talking about in our group. So I, I honestly feel like participating uh, in the learning community program has helped me become a better pediatrician. So um, that has been really enjoyable as well. Yeah, I know a lot of, um, you know, of our friends who might be interested in academic medicine, and I was just wondering if you could share about how you decided to get into that and, and what the process is like to, to become like a faculty or something in a medical school. Oh, sure. I think, um, honestly, it, it, it all starts, again, with your interests, right? So whatever you're passionate about, mm -hmm. um, I kind of mentioned that um, I really enjoyed teaching. And so I think uh, initially it just started as me teaching more medical students and um, really enjoying that part, but also being recognized for um, working well with medical students. And so more and more, my department started asking me to um, become more involved in medical student education, including um, being offered the position of associate clerkship director and then clerkship director. Um, and the more that I did it, I found that wow, yeah, in addition to working with a small group of medical students and helping them, by taking on more leadership roles in medical education, I really had the ability to help more medical students, you know, understand different topics or like help kind of um, design their training a little bit. Um, so I think uh, if you're interested in it, you know, I would just kind of pursue it and, and see where it takes you. Um, I think the 
the best thing was on, honestly when I was offered a position with the Office of Medical Education because to me, um, as a former JABSUM student, that was really where, where all the magic happened. You know, yeah. they were able to put together such a great curriculum mm -hmm. for, for us as, as students and I kind of really wanted to be a part of that team. Um, and so I think it was a little bit of luck, <laughs> I feel like, that, that, that I was offered the position and very grateful to be offered that position. But um, also, I think if you're interested in it, you have passion for it, just you know, go for it and tell people that you're interested in it because that's how um, I think you know, Dr. Amori recognized that I had this interest in going more into academic medicine in my career and, and um, how I was able to eventually get an Office of Medical Education position. So I think, um, yeah, thanks for sharing that. And uh, for our listeners, you know, Dr. Lin is the uh, mentor for my longitudinal uh, or my LC uh, learning community. And, um, you know, she does an awesome job teaching us. So we're super glad that uh, you're here and, uh, you know, part of the OME and, and really helping to uh, make the curriculum the best that it can be for us at uh, Jabson. So thank you so much for Aww, that. Oh, thanks, Lindsay. Um, but yeah, let's move forward to the last topic of discussion here today, which is the work-life balance. And you've kind of mentioned that um, previously, uh, you know, that you work with the shift schedule and how, um, you know, when you're on shift, it can be a little bit difficult in terms of managing that time. Um, but do you find that you have enough time outside of your hospital and practice and also your administrative roles to kind of do things that you enjoy and spend time with family? Yeah, so I think that, you know, uh, as a hospice medicine uh, pediatrician, um, because it is shift work, you know, my schedule is very busy during that time. But during my off time, I do have the ability to do things that I really enjoy. Um, of course, I have to make sure that my commitments to um, the medical education program and everything are complete. And, you know, given that we are kind of kickstarting our learning community program and the longitudinal clerkships also this year, the entire class is in the longitudinal clerkship, so it has been a little bit busy this year. But in general, my goal is always to make sure that I really protect my family mm -hmm. time. And so um, one of the things I do uh, is, you know, if I'm not on service and working the weekends or, or whatnot, I actually will turn off all my email on the weekend and so not to think about work, at least over mm -hmm. the weekend. Um, but what it does involve then that I do a lot of late nights during the week um, at times just to make sure that I can keep my weekend protected if I'm not working in the hospital clinically. Um, I think um, it, it's just really important to me that I do kind of save my family time mm -hmm. for my family. And I... Uh, Times I, I do think that times that it is harder to to do that, and I, I hear my kids saying like you're always on your computer or you know things like that, and um, that's when I know I, I really need to um, try and make sure that I keep that time for them. So mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I think family is is very important for at least myself too. So um, that's definitely something uh, in the consideration for the future. But um, do you have to take call at all with the kind of schedule that you have? Um, yeah, so um, it's not a call per se where like I have to uh, run off to the hospital. Like for example, right now I'm not in the hospital. I'm not on shift, so I don't have a pager on me. But I do have night shifts that I have to do. So as a pediatric hospitalist, we have day shifts, which are seven to six. We have our evening shift, which is 12 to 10 p.m. 
and then we have an overnight shift, which is which is 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. So I'll have to work all of those shifts in in different forms, um, and so I think that part of balancing my life can also be a little bit tricky, um, especially because obviously the hospital is open 24-7, and so I have to work um, some weekends and holidays and, and things like that. But by and far, I feel like the hospice schedule has allowed me to be available for my family. So, for example, over Christmas break, I, I don't have mm-hmm. um, too many hospitalist shifts, so I can have you know dedicated time with my kids um, during that time or if they had... I mean, we're not having any Christmas programs this year, but, you know, before for the Christmas programs, I could make sure I wasn't working right. on shifts so I could attend those or, you know, be present for those very important events. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it's good to hear that with your schedule that you at least have some flexibility in terms of, you know, having time for your family and going to the things that are important for your children and things like that. So that's super cool. Um, well, so just to wrap things up, if uh, you had to share one piece of advice with a medical student who's interested in pediatrics, what would you tell them? I think for students who are interested in pediatrics, I would tell them it's the best field. You've made a wonderful choice. <laughs> no, honestly, I, I do feel that way. If you are interested in pediatrics, I think, I mean, if you just look at um, physician happiness in the different specialties, pediatricians are one of the most satisfied of all the medical specialties. And that's because, honestly, we get to do something um, really fun. We're taking care of a very vulnerable population. And so the work that you do is very satisfying. I think um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful job. I mean, I, I really honestly can say that I love doing what I do every day. I love going to work and taking care of the kids in the hospital. Um, and so to me, that, that just tells me I, I picked the right field. So, yeah. All right. Well, thanks for sharing all of your story and your advice with us today. It's been a pleasure. Oh, thank you for inviting me. All right. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Uh, This was Doc's Talk Story with Dr. Kyra Lin. Thank you, Dr. Lin, for sharing with us your story and uh, what you do as a pediatric hospitalist and also how you juggle family and also administrative work with your clinical practice. I'm sure um, all our listeners were very inspired by your story as I was. Well, that's a wrap, folks. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, Join us next time as we continue to talk story with our practicing docs here in Hawaii.